What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Book, when we've been taking a look at Mark. And remember, if maybe if you're new to the show or this is the first episode you've caught, the whole purpose of Through the Book is to get to the Word in its true context and what the author originally meant when the Word was written because in today's society we tend to just read it however we want but we've got to remember that there was an original context behind what was written in the word and that context certainly has things that are applicable to today's society as well which is some some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today we're going to be moving on last time we finished in chapter verse 12 of chapter 2 uh, in mark today we're going to be moving on from verse 13 to 22 Basically, from verse 13 all the way to chapter 3, verse 6, there are four big questions that are asked in the Gospel of Mark, and which we're going to be talking about as we get into them. Today, I would like to focus on the first two, and then in our next episode, we'll focus on the last two. And we're going to focus on Jesus' response to those that were questioning him, because up to this point, we have seen Jesus become very popular among people. So, but today, it's going to take a whole different direction. So let's take a look at that. Starting there in verse 13 of chapter 2 in the book of Mark, it says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And he walked along, and he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up, and followed him. I want to stop right there for just a second because I want to focus on the next idea that I was just mentioning a few minutes ago, which is the fact that up to this point, Jesus has become really popular with the people. His popularity has grown. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing lepers. He's been healing the sick. He's been doing all of these things while trying to teach God's word. But unfortunately, as humans, we focus a lot on the miracles, but without focusing on the context of what Jesus is trying to teach us. But there's nothing wrong with that if that's what gets you in. But eventually, you've got to begin to focus on the context of what Jesus is trying to say. He's introducing a whole new kingdom. We've talked about that in previous episodes. He's introducing the kingdom God, kingdom of God in a whole new way to the society that was living back then. They're thinking that when God comes, he's going to conquer. He's going to get rid of Roman rule and all that. Jesus is actually introducing God in a way, hopefully, that these people are going to comprehend. But as it starts off here, those first two verses that we just read key on just a couple of things. And that is, Jesus is not only being followed by a greater number of people... But let's read what happens after this. But first, let's just look briefly at verse 14, where it says, Jesus went to a tax collector named Levi, and he said, follow me. And Levi got up, and he followed him. So who in the world is this Levi guy that the book's talking about? Well, there is just a few different theories on Levi and who he is. 
One of those theories suggests that Levi and Matthew, the one that later wrote the book of Matthew in our Gospels, are the same person. Levi's name is not mentioned in any of the Gospels under the original 12. However, Matthew is in all four of the Gospels when the 12 are listed, Matthew is there. But there's also another character that also was introduced as James, the son of Alphaeus, which is who we just found out Levi was the son of. And another theory suggests that Levi is this other James that became one of uh, Jesus' original disciples. So there's two theories right there, but yet another theory suggests that Levi could have just been one of many who were called, and for whatever reason here in Mark, he's keyed in on this particular follower, possibly because he's a tax collector, and we know that they had a bad rep in this particular society. So whatever the case may be, Levi was called to be one of Jesus' disciples. So whether he ends up being Matthew, whether he ends up being James, or whether he just ends up being a man all to himself that ended up following Jesus. And then another suge theory suggests that this James, son of Alphaeus, and Levi, son of Alphaeus, were brothers. So there's a few, three or four different theories out there on who Levi actually was. That is not important in what the author is trying to get by here. Once again, as he takes a look, Jesus says, follow me, and he gets up and follows him. This is another indication of that authority. When Jesus speaks, things happen. If you remember the other disciples, when they were called to follow him, they were fishermen. You can always go back and be a fisherman. Levi, unfortunately, does not have that particular option because once you leave your table, as a tax collector, you're not necessarily going to be coming back. So he leaves everything without any guarantee of getting back into it to follow Jesus. So there's that authority once again that Mark is trying to get across in his gospel. Moving on there in verse 15, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? There is question number one. So as we talked about a moment ago, up until this point, his popularity has been growing. Now we're starting to notice that his critics are growing as well. Jesus is getting more and more critics the more popular he gets. So those, his religious competitors, if you want to call them that, the ones that are trying to compete with him to see if he really is who he says he is, those that are constantly looking at the nitpicking at the little things that he does because of their laws and things that they had set in place back in, those that are nitpicking at those, those people are always going to be out there. And I want to encourage you if you're listening to this, there's always going to be critics. There's always going to be someone that tells you you can't do it or tells you you're doing something wrong or tells you how you should do it. My encouragement to you is if God has called you to do something is that you move forward with what God has called you to do and you just let the critics sit around the campfire and complain about it because those are the people, and I believe, I don't know if it was on this show or another show, those are the people that are never going to go anywhere in life. They're critics. That's what they do. They sit around and they criticize other people while the other people are moving forward. You see, you can let those critics do one of two things. They can either, either stop you from fulfilling your destiny and where you're trying to go and get into that call that God has given you, or you can just 
let them do their thing and you can keep moving forward with God and you can use that to empower you to keep moving forward to do what God has called you to do. Either way, Jesus is now starting to see more criticism. So the more people that start following him, the more critics he's getting as well. And in this particular case, it's the Pharisees. Now, after the Pharisees asked this question, verse 17 says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not he the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. Or I have not come to call the righteous, I'm sorry, but sinners. So Jesus pretty much, his answer to this question is, the well don't need a physician. It's the sick that need a physician. They're the ones that need a change. They're the ones that need something to happen in their life. He's not come to save the righteous. He's come to save the sinners. And he's come to get the sinners to repent. So he's not really sweating this attitude he's getting from the first question from these Pharisees. So his answer here is basically truism. And if you understand what truism is, it's, it's the obvious. The, you know, it's the obvious factor, the obvious truth of what's going on here. Jesus basically tells them, hey, why would I come and sit and hang with you guys when I'm here trying to reach a lost generation? And I believe we still battle this in the churches today. In many churches today, there is still this battle of steering clear and keeping other people at arm's length, if you would want to call it that, or keeping them away. You don't want them to get involved too much. But do you know that God has come to save the sinners? He's come to reach the people. So if you got a church and you're really doing what God has called you to do, things are going to get a little messy because nobody's perfect. The sinners are the ones that need to know that there is a hope, that there is an option. So Jesus answers the Pharisees with his answer is truism. He basically tells them bluntly, hey, why would I come here for the, well, people aren't the ones that need a physician. It's the sick. So I'm trying to save the sinner. Why would I hang with you guys only? So he is in the midst of sinners trying to reach them for the gospel of Christ. So if you look at that particular, there are four things that are applicable things that we can exercise in today in what Jesus' response shows us here in the scriptures. The first one is this. One becomes worthy by responding to the call. It ain't about getting your life all together and then coming to God. No, 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 no. God takes you just as you are. So your first thing you need to learn is that you have to respond to God's call in your life. You have to come as you are, mess and all. You may be, your, your life may be in a mess, but that's the type of people that God is calling to come to him. So you have to answer the come. The only way to become worthy of God's standards is to answer the call. When he calls you, it's time to come. The second thing you learn here is that people can be transformed. It's a big saying today in the society that, you know, once, once this, always this, whatever the this may be in that particular person's life. Once you're like this, you're always going to be like this. Nothing, no, nobody really changes. But Jesus here is saying that people can be transformed. He's eating amongst tax collectors and sinners. He's not necessarily condoning their sins and saying it's okay, but what he is saying is that people can be transformed. And the only way we're going to be able to know that is if we're at least trying to reach them. We're trying. It's not up to us to change people. God will do that, but you've got to get them to God. So we're supposed to be out there among those sinners and those that are in need. Those are the people that we're trying to reach. I can't stress that enough because too many churches today want you to get all cleaned up and get your life all a certain way before you can come to church. And that is not 
the way God set things into play. Even Jesus shows us that in the scriptures, and that's so frustrating to me. The messy people are the ones we need in the church. We're not looking for perfect people, and if you ever find a perfect church, don't go, because you're going to ruin the perfection, because nobody is perfect. The third thing we learn here, that Jesus' invitation is open to anyone. No matter your background, no matter what sin you're living in at that time, you, everybody, is welcome. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. His invitation is open to anyone who will listen and come to him. He can help you get your life cleaned up, but you've got to be willing to come first. Answer the call, allow transformation, and just come. Accept the invitation. The fourth thing we see here is that Jesus is not corrupted by sinners, but transmits blessings on them. And the reason I say that is the fact that you got to understand that the religious people of this day, they were the ones saying that they needed to stay at least arm length. And they were going by Old Testament scriptures they believed they were doing it the right way. So they're not necessarily totally hypocrites, but they're being hypocritical is a better way to say it. So Jesus isn't afraid of being contaminated by lepers, by sinners. Instead, he's trying to contaminate them with God's grace and God's mercy and God's power. He is trying to to help them. So the key is when Jesus was eating with his people, these people, he wasn't getting involved with their lifestyle. He was trying to express and show God's grace and God's power to these people. So where the Pharisees were so afraid that they'd become contaminated if they got too close to a sinner, Jesus is just like, you know what? I'm going to get right in the middle of them because I need to show them God's grace and God's power and God's love. So Jesus is not going to be corrupted by sinners, but he's going to transmit blessings on them in hopes that they will turn. As always comes down to a choice you have to make as a human. Are you going to turn? The invitation's there. You're supposed to answer the call, and the invitation's open to anyone. Transformation can happen, but you've got to accept the invitation. You've got to accept the call. And then lastly, you can't be afraid, Christians, more likely here, that you're going to be contaminated by sinners. You've got to be out there willing. Now, this is where the caution wall comes into place. If you catch yourself in an environment to where you are going to become involved directly and make it a regular thing that you're doing and get caught up in the sin, then you need to steer clear of that environment. But what your intent is always to be is to transform the sinner. Not let the sinner transform you. And that's where you got to be cautious in the areas that you allow God to use you. Because some people are going to be stronger in other areas than others. Example, me, I've never liked the taste of alcohol. I could walk into a bar, I could tell someone about Jesus and never even crave a drink. Because I've never gotten into any of that stuff. However, an alcoholic is not going to be able to do the same thing. If you're waiting on, if you're expecting God to change your life, and you're an alcoholic, then you don't need to be going to the bars to witness to people because chances are, if you're an alcoholic, that you're going to become drinking inside them and you're going to get right back into the same mess you just got out of. So this is where, Christians, you got to exercise caution in how you deliver that, go that gospel. But remember, they're not contaminated people. They're people that need God's love. They need God's grace. They need God's power, just like us. 
If you ever catch yourself judging people, you need to look back and remember where you came from. I want to move on because I don't want to run out of time here. Now we're going to get into the second question that I want to talk about today, and then we're going to close things out. It says, in verse 18, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Now check it out. This, this is the big question, question number two. We said there's four of them. How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not. The chances are that when this is being read, that it is one of the days in particular that groups of people were fasting and Jesus' disciples weren't doing that. They were celebrating because the bridegroom, or Jesus, was with them. So when they ask this question, Jesus basically shows them, well, let me go ahead and read verse 21 and 22 uh, before I get too much because all of it kind of goes together and then we're going to wrap things up and get out of here today. But it says in verse 21, it says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. Jesus' answer here to the big question, well, how come John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, but your guys, your guys aren't? Jesus basically answers them in a proverbial here. He's in, by, by proverbial, I mean like a proverb, the style of a proverb. If you noticed how he said it, it was similar to a proverb. A good example of a proverb, and I didn't mark this, but give me just a second and I'll show you a good example of a proverb, will be, let's say, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The style that Jesus answers them here is proverbial. Jesus says, hey, you don't patch up old garments with new because they're already stretched and worn and then they'll just fall apart and they'll pull away. And you don't pour new wine into old wineskins because they're going to burst, they're going to fall apart. Jesus answers them proverbially here. He's also assuring them that while the bridegroom's here, there should be joy, there should be celebration. See, Jesus has not come to patch up an old system that does not match the revolutionary rule of God he is not simply a reformer of the old, but one who will transform it. The, Jesus has not come to take away from the law. Jesus has come to see that that law is fulfilled. He's going to transform the mindset of those that are sitting here. He, he's going to show them things that they before did not understand. And I've got to start wrapping this stuff up. I'm sorry I did not get to go in a little bit further, but I want to try to wrap this up and get out of here at a decent time for those of you listening. But understand this, Jesus is expressing that if you're going to fast, he's not saying fasting, throw it out. That's not what Jesus is saying. But if you're going to fast, you don't do it for man's approval. In other words, you do that as a private thing. You don't come out and just say, oh, I'm fasting, oh, woe is me, all this baloney. Or you don't try to do it to get, in, uh, get attention. You also don't try to fast to try to earn God's favor on something. Jesus is the one that brought the ability for us to be saved to this planet. So when you're fasting, your reasoning has to be right. You've got to be doing it in humility, but don't, I mean, humility is the correct way to do it. 
But if you let that humility get to the point to where you know you're you're wanting others to notice, then you're doing it for attention. That is not the right reason to fast. Or if you're trying to fast because you're trying to win over God's favor, which He's already given you through Jesus, if you're saved, those are not reasons to fast. When you're fasting, you should be doing it to set yourself apart, not so that others can acknowledge it, but something you're trying to do with God. So. Understand that fasting doesn't get thrown out here. Fasting is still encouraged, but it's the motive behind why you're fasting that makes all the difference in the world. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not trying to come and live by these laws that many men have come up with over the years that thought that would help people to exercise being holy. He is here to show them the true law and how God expects people to live. So we're going to stop there with that second question. Jesus always had the correct answer for everything, and I believe us as Christians, we need to get to that point. Next time, we're going to focus on the rest of chapter 2 and the first six verses in chapter 3, and we're going to focus on the next two questions that Jesus gets asked by his critics, or that Jesus asks his critics, and we'll get to that, and I'll explain that next time. Um, that's all for today. I want to thank you out there for those that are listening. We appreciate you. I hope you're getting something out of it. But until next time, this is Trenton Cruz saying God bless.